0: Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. It's the 28th day of March 2023. If I sound a little subdued this morning, um, you'll have to forgive me, uh, but I think that I am probably like a lot of other people in the country today today. And um, a combination of horrified, pissed off, numb, you name it, uh, as we have had another school shooting here in the United States. Uh, Thirteen weeks in 2023 so far here, folks. And we have had 13 school shootings in this country. One a week. Don't have to be a genius to do the math. And here's the thing, you know, I, I mentioned that you know part of me is numb. And I and I think that is uh, true of a lot of people. But when you get to a point where you're numb, it's almost like we have come to accept it. It's almost like uh, we. Almost not that it's okay, but in some ways, it's by not doing anything. We're accepting this. We're saying that this is okay. You know, and it's not okay. Jesus Christ! I mean, I uh, <sighs> that was never a thought when my kids were going to school, and and my kids are now. You know. 35 and and 29 I never once had to worry about whether my kids were going to come home from school or whether their lives were going to be in danger when they went to school and that is a real problem for kids today for you know um young people who have uh, you know kids that you know kids that you know my children if they had children they'd be have to be worried about that now i it, it's and it's not okay i remember when sandy hook happened in connecticut and, and it seems like you know another lifetime ago but i remember the absolute horror right you know and 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 when when columbine happened and you know and it wasn't it was it that was kind of the the beginning of of this kind of crap right uh, where it it's now become routine it's not okay and at what point are we going to step up and say we got to stop and look i <laughs> This isn't about gun rights ladies and gentlemen this isn't about the second amendment I, and we can get into it we could debate the second amendment until the cows come home the second amendment as it was written by our founding fathers had nothing to do with what's going on in this country now and the and the kinds of weapons that we have let's remember when the when the second amendment was was structured we had muzzle loaders we had muskets you know where it would take you 30 seconds to reload this wasn't about uh, high capacity magazines and semi-automatic rifles and you know that's you know this is completely and the and the and and the people that want to keep spouting our second right amendments and the fact that the supreme court upholds this and 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 i know that the 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 constitution is our founding document and the structure of our entire our, our entire society and i get that but it also has to be a living breathing document we have had amendments to the constitution over you know the decades and perhaps it's time for another one i don't know that we'll ever get it through because of you know the 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 nra lobby and the the fact that the right wing has such a stranglehold on half of our country right now and you know, to get the votes necessary to pass this, I don't know what what is it gonna take? You know, and people will say to you and the gun rights advocates will say to you, Well, guns don't kill people. It's it's people that kill people. <laughs> you know, which is just, you know it's that's not the point. The point is is that we're allowing guns to get into the hands of people that shouldn't have them be to begin with. So I'm not about taking guns away. I'm not saying that we need to go to everybody's house and take their guns away. That's not what this is about, but this is about the fact that, you know, these, these semi-automatic rifles, these uh, quote unquote, assault style rifles, this kind of crap's got to stop. The high capacity magazines, this crap's got to stop. That's the stuff that, that the average citizen doesn't need. And I don't want to hear any more crap about hunting. You don't need that to hunt. People hunted for years. Without having these to say that you need these, you know what it means? It means you're a shitty shot. That's what it means. Pardon my language. You don't need it. If you do, you shouldn't be hunting it in the first place. What are you trying to take down an elephant? You know, so, but what are we, when are, when is it going to be enough? Until we, we make it so that people that have mental health issues, so that our background check process Is more stringent, and there are uh, uh, psychological evaluations that have to go. You want to have, you know what? If you want to have a a, a gun, why shouldn't you have to undergo a psychological evaluation? You know, if you want the gun that bad, you'll you'll do it. But three nine-year-old children are dead now. The woman who ran the school is dead. A substitute teacher, for Christ's sake, is dead. And a custodian. Because a 28-year-old former student shot up their school. Said they may have had an issue when they went to school there. Um, and, you know, a lot is being made of the fact that it was a transgender student. I don't give a crap whether it was male, female. It doesn't matter what their gender was. The problem, what matters is, is that this person purchased probably, the the police said that at least two of these assault rifles that that they had were purchased legally. This is obviously somebody with psychological issues that was able to legally purchase a gun. Two assault rifles and a handgun on them. Shot at the police, ended up getting killed. They searched... uh, their home and uh, found more more weapons, a couple of shotguns and a manifesto. So we'll learn more about the, the motive. But the motive doesn't matter. What matters is the fact that this person that was obviously mentally disturbed and had mental issues was able to legally purchase firearms. Want a gun? Undergo a psychological evaluation. It's that simple. Like I said, I'm not advocating we go to everybody's house and take their guns away. That's not what this is about. But three nine-year-old children didn't come home from school yesterday, and that is the last thing that a parent should have to worry about when they go to school. Good God! When I went to school, the, the you know, the, what did we worry about? Whether you know the bully on the play, on the you know in the playground was going to beat somebody up, or whether the, you know somebody was going to smoke smoke a joint in school. Right. Or whether somebody was going to, you know, uh, let a M80 off in the bathroom. That's what the big excitement was when we went to school. Now kids are going with bulletproof backpacks. And Tennessee, where this happened, it happened in Nashville. And Tennessee is a state where, it, you know, if you breathe, you could have a gun. It's pretty much the way it is all down south. And it, it's States across this country are systematically making it easier and easier to not only purchase guns, but to carry guns in public without a permit. We're making it easier for things like this to happen. In what world? Well, obviously in this world it's okay, but, but it, it's not Okay. And at what point are our lawmakers going to step up and say, we've got to stop this? We need some new lawmakers is what we need. And this may not get solved until some, there's some radical changes in this country. And some of that is going to be, uh, I hate to say it, you know, the dinosaurs, people that are running this country and people that are my age or older are out of the way. And these younger people can say, OK, it's time to stop this. And it it may take another 20 years or 30 years before this stops. It's going to get worse before it gets better. I hate to tell you that. Because there is no common sense in the people running, not just the, the federal government, but in running our state governments. There is no common sense in this country right now when we are allowing people with mental illness to own guns. I don't want to take your guns away, but I damn sure want to make sure somebody buying a new one is mentally competent before they can before they can get it. And nobody as I and I'll say this till I'll die on this hill. Nobody except the military and the police needs semi-automatic rifles. If you need a uh, an AR15 style weapon to go hunting, you need to rethink your hunting because you suck. I grew up hunting. My uncle was a great hunter, and he would uh, hey he would go out with a you know not a semi-automatic rifle, folks. He went out there with a you know uh, you know a regular rifle, a four ten. I don't remember what he what it was he used, and he used to shoot deer and moose, and you know he did it was something that you didn't just squeeze the trigger as often as you wanted to get a, a shot off. You didn't. He didn't need a 30-round magazine. He'd use a rifle that he had to reload after every shot, but he only needed one shot. So if you needed AR-15, you might need to rethink your hobby. But the more numb we get, the closer this society comes to actually accepting this. It's almost like, you know, you you heard about it yesterday and a lot of people just went out. What are you going to do? And we have, you know, legislators that are going to say, well, you know, it's not the guns. Well, well, you know, hey. And unlike the shooting that happened down in Texas, the good news was, is the police responded to this quickly. This was all over in 15 minutes. Now, not before six people were dead. But there was no hesitating about whether they were going to go into the building or whether they were going to take this person out. So you know you have to give the Nashville law enforcement props for ending this as quick as they could. And you know what the the, the, the chilling part was—you watch this and you know the doors were locked, right? And this person just shot right through the windows of the doors. And and there was video of them patrolling the hallway, you know. Uh, and like I said, I don't care. Transgender, male, female, I don't care what they were. You know, And because and I, I, it, it doesn't matter. What matters is this person had mental health issues and they were able to legally purchase a gun. So, you know, but we've got to stop this. And I, I, I don't know how we do that. You know, and when we... It, there was a... Uh, A poll done by the Wall Street Journal talking about uh, the generational divide and the political divide in this country, and it is unbelievable. You know, 78% of the people that were surveyed in this poll do not feel confident that that their children's generation— Will be better for them than it has been for us. Seventy-eight uh, percent. It's unbelievable, right? Uh, it's it's you know when when people were like to talk about the economy. One percent of the people think that the economy is good. Fifty-six percent said a college degree is not worth it anymore because people usually graduate. Without specific job skills and without and with a large amount of debt and and not to denigrate things that people want to major in in college, but you know it's like somebody says i'm going to I'm going to school and I'm going to major in sociology. what the hell are you gonna do with that you know i mean uh, uh, yeah thirty three percent they have little said they have little or no confidence in public schools. And, and think about this. You look at a shift uh, in the Wall Street Journal poll, and you look at a poll that was taken 25 years ago. 25 years ago, 70% of the people surveyed said that patriotism was very important in this country. You know what it is now? 38%. Religion, is it is it important? Well, 25 years ago, 62% said yes, now it's 39 Having children, is it important? 25 years ago, 59% of the people surveyed said yes. Now it's down to 30%. Community involvement, 47% of the people, almost half the people surveyed said it was important to be involved in your community. Now it's down to 27 But get this, money, is it important? 25 years ago, only 31% of the people said it was. Now it's 43 it is unbelievable. You look at some of these numbers, and you worry where we're going. You know, and and I I've said many times I'd love to live to be a hundred. You know, as long as I can still get around and have my faculties. I, you know, when you when you see stuff that's going on now, sometimes you know with these shootings, and I don't know. I mean i I was despondent last night. You know or yesterday afternoon when the news of this came down and I just sat there staring at the television and I, I mean, I, I, my heart was like, I I felt so bad for these parents and they were interviewing parents of, of kids that survived. And these parents were hysterical. And who can blame them? I mean, I can tell you this, if, if this had been a problem when my kids were young, I'd have homeschooled them. I'd have figured it out. I wouldn't have sent them to school. No parent should ever have to worry about whether their kid's coming home from school. Three nine-year-old kids, dead. Because somebody with mental illness legally bought guns, semi-automatic rifles, and shot up their old school. 13 weeks into the year, 13 school shootings. That's what we've had. And everyone that goes by, and no changes are made to our gun laws or our permit laws, every one of those that goes by is tacit approval of the way our society is going right now. And that is scary to me. And it's sad, and, and, and I, I, I wonder what it's going to take for there to be a change. And like I said, it may take 30 years until the kids that are kids now the 9-, 10-, 11-year-old kids now until they are old enough to start running the government and these these people like Mitch McConnell, uh, the governor of Texas, the the legislators in, in, the, in the state of Tennessee that allow people now to, you know, carry without a permit. You know, I see that all over the South, you know, and, and so it may be until all these dinosaurs are gone and these young kids get to an age where they can start running this country that we might have change. That's if the, you know, that's if the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, American uh, uh, right-wing Nazi party run by, you know, headed up by Donald Trump doesn't doesn't completely destroy this country first. But man, oh man, it just yesterday just sickening and heartbreaking. Uh We've got some sports to get to, and, uh, and I'm sorry it went on for so long, but it's just it, – it, and I'm tired of talking about this, but, you know, it's just it, – it's if we don't talk about it, nothing ever changes because if we don't talk about it, it means that we approve and that we're just, you know, by not saying or doing anything, we're just saying, eh, well, kind of throwing up your hands. What are you going to do? This isn't Johnny throwing a rock through a window, folks. This is a lot more serious than that. Uh, we're going to take a break um, because there's no way to segue into sports from that. So we're going to take a break, and uh, we'll talk about sports when we come back, I promise. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 28 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call on a Tuesday morning, and I promise uh, the, uh, the the gloom and doom uh, we'll, we'll set that aside for now and uh, let's get on to uh, happier subjects, especially if you are a fan of the Virginia Tech women's basketball team. Uh, they take out Ohio State last night in the Elite Eight, and Virginia Tech is going to the Final Four for the first time in school history. Kenny Brooks, who leads that team, uh, has been there for seven years, and he has this team on a roll. Uh, They have not lost in more than two months. They won their 15th straight game last night, taking out Ohio State 84-74, and now they will take on LSU in the uh, Final Four on Friday in Dallas. Uh, Unbelievable game played by Elizabeth Kitley, 25 points, 12 rebounds. Uh, Georgia Amore with 24 points, and uh, they just dominated this game. It really, it, to me, it wasn't as close uh, as the final score. At one point, uh, it looked like uh, Virginia Tech was just going to run away and hide. This is, this is the seventh time in the past 10 years that there's a first-time participant in the uh the final four i think it's great uh, again we're we're seeing that transition in women's basketball where it has become so much more competitive um and, and as for uh, brooks hey, look uh he becomes the third black male coach to take a team to the women's final four uh the second since the field expanded to 64 in 1994 uh you know what i'm looking forward to i'm looking forward to the day that we are no longer saying that, that that we're no longer counting um how many black coaches that we have that have done this or done that because it's not going to matter because it's we're going to get to a point where the color of your skin doesn't matter although maybe that's a pipe dream as much as it is gun control but you know what difference he, a good, good coach is a good coach and the fact that we still have in this day and age that we still have Black coaches still not getting opportunities is crazy to me. The fact that we still have, and I don't understand this. It's gotten a lot better. I don't understand why it's okay to have men coaching women's basketball, but we can't have a woman coaching a men's basketball team. Remember Becky Harmon, when she was an assistant coach with the uh, San Antonio Spurs, It was talked that she might get an NBA job. She ended up taking a job in the WNBA. But why isn't it okay? Why do we have so many uh, men coaching women's basketball, but we don't see the opposite? I'm looking forward to, to, to that stopping. I get it with football, all right? I get it because that's not a sport that, that women play, and and, and they do in, in a small amount. So, I mean, but it, it, that's completely different. But basketball, the game of basketball – the court size is the same for the men and women. It's still 94 feet. Uh, the height of the basket is the same, right? The only difference between the men's and women's game, two things. Uh, the women's ball is slightly smaller because their hands are smaller. Makes sense. Um, and the speed of the game, the ability for men to jump much higher than women, That's just that's just biology. But the game is the same. You run the same kind of plays, right? You know, with the exception of maybe running an alley-oop play because women aren't going to play above the rim the way men do. But you still run the same plays. You still play the same kind of defense. It's the same principles. There's no reason why we can't have that, right? And there's no reason that we should have a, a section in this story that Kenny Brooks is just the third black coach to take a women's team to the Final Four. You know, how many times have we seen, you know, we're still talking about this in NFL football, a sport that is uh, that is dominated by black athletes. And we're still talking about how they're, you know, most of the coaches are all white. The majority of the coaches are all white. You know, we've got a lot of black assistant coaches, not too many head coaches. Why is that? I mean, when are we going when is this going to stop? It's going to stop. But anyway, congratulations to Virginia Tech. Great game last night. I watched a good portion of this. I did not watch a minute of the South Carolina-Maryland game last night. I will I will be honest with you. Uh, why? South Carolina is boring. They're too damn good. They're 36-0. They won their 42nd straight game heading back to last year's uh, NCAA tournament. Right? Yeah. Uh, now, I'll give Maryland this. They uh, they hung in there last night. The first time they played this season, they lost by 26. They only lost by 11 last night. <laughs> but uh, it is the third straight Final Four for South Carolina, and Dawn Staley uh, does a great job. And uh, they will now play Iowa in the Final Four on Friday night. And any chance that we have of having a champion other than South Carolina happens In that game on Friday night. Because I'm telling you right now, uh, Virginia Tech is not beating South Carolina. They are not. Um, Even if they, you know, beat LSU, neither one of those teams are beating South Carolina. The only team that has a chance is Iowa, and that's because of Caitlin Clark. Kaitlyn Clark, who can do everything. She can – I mean, she had 41 points and 12 boards the other night. It may come down to her or Aaliyah Boston for player of the year, although Maddie Segres from Villanova led the, the nation in scoring and got Villanova, uh, a, you know, deep into the tournament on her own. Um, but Kaitlyn Clark is one that can – she's somebody that can match up with Aaliyah Boston, the big girl from uh, South Carolina, and shut her down a little bit. So any, any hope – of South Carolina not winning the national championship for the second straight year comes down to that game with Iowa on Friday night. Uh, So that's, uh, that's where we're at as far as the women's Final Four goes. So that starts on Friday. The men's Final Four starts on Saturday. They'll have the semifinal games on Saturday. The championship game coming up on Monday. The women's championship game will be on Sunday. Uh, and I mentioned Maddie Segrist a minute ago. She has uh, declared for the WNBA draft. Now, she was a senior, so it's not necessarily a shock, but she, uh, because she played during the pandemic uh, season, the, the, you know the, those couple years of the pandemic, the NCAA granted athletes affected by that pandemic an extra season of eligibility. So she could have come back and played for a fifth season at Villanova. She has nothing to prove. Nothing. She led the nation in scoring 29.2 points a game. She averaged over nine rebounds a game. Two-time Big East player of the year. I mean, she has nothing left to prove. This is the absolute right move for her. Uh, almost 2,900 points in her career. A thousand of them, by the way, this year, which is ridiculous. Um, uh, she scored over 20 points in every game. In all 37 games this season, including 17 games of 30 points or more. Uh, the 37 consecutive 20-point game stretch, longest streak by any men's or women's Division One player this century. So she is going to go to the WNBA, and she will be. Um, she won't be the number one overall pick, I don't believe, but she will. She'll go very, very high uh, in that draft. Absolute right move. Uh, University of Texas yesterday in men's basketball uh, officially announced that Rodney Terry is going to be their coach. Uh, Of course, he was their interim coach this year after they fired Chris Beard in the middle of the season. And, uh, look, he got uh, Texas deep into this tournament. And uh, the fans wanted him. The players wanted him. You know, nobody – they were wondering why it was taking so long. People actually expected this to happen during the, uh, uh, the regular season. When they got to the Elite Eight, it was the first time uh, they had gone beyond the first weekend in 15 years. So uh, this was the absolute right move. Of course, they uh, they've hired, they fired Chris Beard, their head coach, uh, back, I think it was in December, when he was arrested and charged with uh, domestic abuse. Now, the charges against him were later dropped. Uh, he was arrested when his uh, fiance called and said that and told police that he had choked her and bit her and hit her during a confrontation, and then she later recanted a lot of that. But Texas still fired uh, Beard, uh, saying that he was uh, unfit to lead the program. Just basically, you know, I guess uh, if uh, you know, look, most people that are married or have had long-term relationships have had some pretty good fights. But if it uh, if there's any kind of physicality involved, you, you know that's a no-no. Uh, but Chris Beard landed on his feet. He has since been hired at Mississippi. Uh, so, uh, but uh, this is good good news for Rodney Terry. Good news for Texas. Uh, Terry was at Texas as an assistant from 2002 to 2011. He also was a head coach at Fresno State, um, and he also coached at UTEP. I, I think he was at UTEP for three years. And he left to go back to Texas to be on Chris Beard's staff. As a head coach uh, in his career, uh, Terry is 185 and 164 and now has the interim tag removed from uh, his name at the University of Texas. So the men's Final Four is coming up. There's been a lot of talk about the the basketball quote-unquote elite or purists or whatever it is you want to call them are actually upset About the Final Four. Now, imagine this. We have a Final Four that's got three teams in there that have never been there before. I think this is great. Right? I mean, I think it is spectacular. Florida Atlantic. And Miami. Right? I mean, the fact that they are there is unbelievable. San Diego State. You know, what these teams have done to get to the final is phenomenal. So you have three newbies and UConn, and people are like, well, you know, none of the the quote-unquote blue bloods are there. What a bunch of crap that is. You know, and who are the blue bloods? Well, no North Carolina, no Kansas, no Kentucky. Oh, my God, no Duke. What are we going to do? How can we have an NCAA tournament without those teams? Let's understand something. UConn probably has a, you know, you would think UConn has a path to win this thing fairly easily. You would think. But then again, most people thought that all the number one seeds had a a clear path and they didn't make it. And UConn's a four seed. But think about this. UConn has won four national titles. And been to six final fours in the last 25 years. They've won more titles than in that time, in that those 25 years, than any other team, more than UCLA, North Carolina, Duke, Kansas, whoever you want to name. And even Jim Laranaga, the coach of Miami, uh, you know, when people brought that up to him, he says, what are you talking about? He said, UConn's in it. UConn's, you know, one of the top basketball schools in the country. I mean, think about this. You know, people talk about Duke being this, you know, big powerhouse. Duke didn't win its first title in men's basketball until 1991. Right? Only eight years before UConn won their first one, and UConn's had a lot more success recently than Duke has had. Indiana hasn't won a title in, in, since since uh, 1987. So, and, and if UConn does win and win their fifth title this week, they'll be in a tie uh, for fourth place in NCAA total titles. Uh, with Duke and Indiana. So, you know, t- to talk about the fact that there's no uh, power schools left in the Final Four is just, you know, that's just sour grapes from the uh, the people at North Carolina, the people at Duke, you know, I mean, it, you know, the people at Kentucky. Kentucky, what's it? Kentucky's but a joke. You know, the fact that John Calipari hasn't been fired in Kentucky is a miracle. You know, all the talent that they have had and, and the fact that they continue to flame out, and what happened at, you know, North Carolina this year, preseason number one doesn't even make the NCAA tournament. You know, this is all just sour grapes by, by these schools, you know. And I I got a, a flavor of that back when I was uh, working in college athletics. I worked at Sacred Heart University uh, when we went down to play the University of North Carolina in the preseason NIT. And we gave them a game for a half. <laughs> they ended up, I think they ended up beating us by 18 or 20. Um, but you got a sense of the entitlement that they feel there. Um, you know, we wanted to do a pregame, uh, interview on radio with their head coach. And it was like, they were doing us a favor by allowing him to talk to us. I mean, it was, uh, you know, Roy Williams was the head coach then. It was like, he was doing us a favor. It's like, well, we don't normally do this, but for you, you know, because you guys are never going to be able to be at this level, we'll we'll do you a solid and we'll let you talk to them. Gee, thanks. But that's the kind of things that you deal with, you know. And so the the, the talk about the fact that this Final Four doesn't have any uh, cachet because there's no uh, power schools in there is just a joke because people are out ah, are in the Northeast. Ah, I don't mean anything. It's 44 minutes past the hour. We're going to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 45 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. Um, speaking of uh, UConn, uh, there was a story in the Hartford Current this morning. Because of how far um, UConn has gotten into this NCAA tournament, uh, Danny Hurley uh, has made himself a nice little paycheck. Uh, His contract that he has with UConn has bonuses in it based on how far the team goes into the NCAA tournament, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Basically, at the end of the day, if UConn wins the NCAA tournament, uh, Danny Hurley is in line to make a bonus of (laughs) $700,000. Not too shabby um and this is a guy who's making uh 2.75 million dollars a year um now his base salary i mean it, the way that the universities do this stuff is funny his base salary is only 400k but then he uh, then he has a supplemental supplemental salary for speaking engagements, fundraising, other university tasks of two point three five million dollars. So I think what it is is his base salary is four hundred k. That's the part that comes out of the university budget. The other two point three five probably comes out of their uh, foundation, which is their fundraising money. That's how UConn uh, is able to hide the salaries, not hide, but not have the salaries on the book the books necessarily of their uh, their athletic department budget because they they take it out of their foundation. Uh it's it's a common thing that uh that a lot of schools do. The other thing that Hurley can do um if they win this uh he's already on a contract through the year 2027. He has the option um of extending his contract by one year at the twenty twenty seven level for each sweet sixteen appearance uh two years with a final four, so he's already got the right to extend his contract through twenty twenty nine if indeed he wants to do that you know I mean, I don't know whether whether he will or not and look, I mean here's the thing you know there's a lot of people that have thought, well, how long is he going to stay there? Well, you know look Jim Calhoun stayed there for a long long time i mean where's he where's he gonna go I mean, I guess. You know, again, we talk about the 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 whole blue blood thing. What program would he want to leave UConn for? What program is going to be better than that? North Carolina is that you know is that where you want to do? I mean, Duke. I mean, those jobs aren't aren't going to be open for a long, long time. Uh, you know, if John Calipari gets fired in Kentucky, is Kentucky a better job than UConn? Would Danny Hurley? I mean, I, so I don't know that he's going anywhere. You know, it might be one of those where he coaches like Jim Calhoun does and, until he retires. Of course, Calhoun couldn't stay away, so he went out and coached Division Three for a while and had a lot of success. By the way, what a great job he did when uh, they decided to go co-ed at St. Joseph's College. He, it used to be an all, all-girls school uh, in West Hartford, Connecticut. They decided to go co-ed, start some men's sports, and men's basketball was going to be one of them, and they hired Jim Calhoun, brought him out of retirement. And uh, he got them into the NCAA tournament in two years. And he has since retired again, but Glenn Miller, who was his assistant at UConn, has stayed on as the head coach. They got to uh, the Final Four, I think, this year, or the Elite Eight, maybe, Um, for this little tiny school in West Hartford that's got, you know, five, six, seven hundred students. Uh, what a great job Jim Calhoun did about building that foundation, and Glenn Miller has just kept it going. But uh, anyway, so Danny Hurley uh, is going to make 700 k just for this run uh, that UConn has had in the NCAA tournament. Nice job if you can get it. Um, two days until the start of spring training, I mean until the start of the regular season, and spring training is mercifully going to be over. Uh, the Red Sox will play their last spring training game today. It uh, It was interesting. The Boston Globe this morning had its uh, baseball preview. And uh, the seven uh, main writers of uh, their baseball coverage with the Boston Globe all took a shot at predicting things. Not one of them, 0 for 7, none of them predicted that the Red Sox would make the playoffs. That Obviously, the AL East is out of the question. That's going to be the Yankees. You know, some people, a couple of them think maybe the Blue Jays will win it. Uh but none of them have the Red Sox making the playoffs um you know, I mean look um in order, and we look we we've said this in order for the Red Sox to make the playoffs, hell, in order for the Red Sox to maybe have a winning season, everything has to fall right for this team, right um everybody has to stay healthy, and we've already seen that. That's not the case. We've already seen that James Paxton, a guy that, you know, I said right from the beginning, if he's there and he's healthy, uh, you're, he's your number two behind Chris Sale. And then you have Corey Kluber and, you know, Brian Bayo looks like the real deal and all of it and, you know, and Pavetta or whoever in your number five. But all of a sudden it looks like, you know, you've got a real rotation. Well, we've already seen Paxton go down. We don't know when he's going to be ready. Right, uh, and then Tanner Houck is a guy that they're talking about putting in the rotation at the start of the season because Bayo's not going to be ready, Whitlock's not going to be ready, and Tanner Houck went out yesterday and was awful. As a matter of fact, not only was he awful yesterday, he has been awful all spring. His ERA in spring training games is almost ten. He made six starts in twenty innings in spring training. He gave up nine home runs. Nine home runs. Now think about this. In his career, okay, now he's only thrown 146 innings in his career because a lot of them have been out of the bullpen. But in 146 innings in his career, he has only given up eight home runs, which is pretty good. He's given up nine and 20 innings in spring training. Uh, so, you know, and this is a guy that is going to be pitching – for the Red Sox in the rotation, at least at the start of the season, and then they're going to bring him out of the bullpen. And even Alex Cora said, "Look, you know, you know, hopefully that you know the home run thing doesn't translate into the season." But he said, and he's right. He's worried about the fact that Hauk has had trouble throwing strikes this spring. In twenty innings, he walked ten guys, and he hit five guys. So in fifty so in twenty innings, you've allowed fifteen guys to get on base because you can't throw a strike. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, Hauk is still feeling, you know, talking a good game and says, you know, when, when the lights flip on Sunday, you know, maybe everything's going to be fine. Maybe. But things like that and the fact that Kike Hernandez did not hit at all this spring, you know, and some guys that, that you're counting on, uh, you know, Alex Verdugo did not hit very well this spring. Adam Duvall finally picked it up late in the year, but you look at some of this stuff and you go, "Mm." you know. I was very, I'm, I, I'm very bullish on this Red Sox team. I think they're going to finish over 500. I hope I'm right, but with some of the things that we've seen lately, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, Hauk is going to pitch opening day in Worcester, and, and uh, then the hope is that he'll only have to make one start down there, but it's probably going to be two. Brian Bayo is a week or so behind him, um, you know, and and look. Uh, how could back surgery in the offseason? Maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe he's still working on his mechanics. I don't know. But all I know is when I watched that game yesterday, I cringed. And the, and the Red Sox sent down uh, Bobby Dalbeck to AAA yesterday as well as Jorge Alfaro. Alfaro had a uh, clause in his contract that he could have opted out if he didn't make the 40-man roster, but he chose to accept the demotion to the minor leagues. And, look, he hit the ball well this spring, but uh, Connor Wong is going to make the team out of the, uh, out of the camp because he's a better defensive catcher than Alfaro. I still think they're going to end up needing Alfaro's bat, but we'll see. Uh, So uh, Bobby Dalback goes down, which means Yu Chang is going to make the team as their backup infielder. Uh, Red Sox still have two decisions left to make. Uh, Who's going to be their fifth outfielder? It's either going to be Jaron Duran or Rymel Tapia. Look, on numbers, it should be Tapia. Right. I mean, he's had a great spring. He hit 317 this spring. I mean, it's only 16 games, but he played all three outfield spots. He had an OPS of over 900. Uh, He shows he needs to make this team. Uh, And Jaron Duran uh, has not hit well this spring. I mean, he's hit better, a little bit better, but he has not hit well in his career. The one thing that might play in his favor is they do not have, the Red Sox do not have any spots on their 40-man roster. So if they want to keep Tapia, they've got to drop somebody off their 40-man roster and expose them uh, to waivers. So that might might mean that Duran makes this team, but I still think Ramel Tapia needs to be on the team. Uh, and, and it's not anything against Jaron Duran because I love Duran's speed, but Tapia's got speed too, and he's a much better defensive outfielder, and he's got a better bat. Uh, if you want to win at least in the short term, is your guy. You know, Duran maybe is somebody you're looking at still trying to figure it out for long term. But I think Tapia needs to make this roster. So the Sox will probably make that decision, I would imagine, uh, probably after the game today, uh, the final spring training game of the season. Uh, The Cleveland Guardians have lost Tristan McKenzie perhaps for two months. Uh, McKenzie uh, went 11-11 last year in 31 starts with an ERA of under three and helped them win the division. He struck out 190 guys in 191 innings. Uh, This is going to be his fourth season. Well, he ended up with a strain of a muscle behind his uh, right shoulder. They're going to shut him down for two weeks and reevaluate him, but they estimate it's going to be at least eight weeks before he comes back. So that is a a tough way for the Guardians uh, to start the season. Uh, The Cubs announced an extension with uh, Nico Horner. A guy who was their starting shortstop is now moving to second base because, of course, they signed Dansby Swanson to play shortstop. So uh, uh, the deal for Horner, thirty-five million million uh, 3 three-year contract extension that will begin in the 2024 season. The Brewers signed Luke Voigt yesterday. Uh, not sure what he's – I mean, look, Voigt's 32. He hit 226 last year with 22 homers. Uh, really, he, this is a guy that kind of made a name for himself during the shortened uh, pandemic season when he had 22 homers in 56 games with the Yankees. Uh, But, you know, again, that Yankee short porch in right field helped him out a lot. Uh, And he has not done a lot since then, so uh, we'll see. But Keston Hero is a guy that, uh, as a rookie in 2019, looked like he was going to be the next big thing. Uh, But since then, he has really struggled. So they sent him down, and Luke Voigt uh, makes the roster out of spring training for the Milwaukee Brewers. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. It's Reba McIntyre's 68th birthday, so how about a little Reba on the way out? We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.